slow claps, they really increase the odds of how tight it's going to go. We should have that at church, the slow clap. Get the old people to start doing it. I would, I would feel much better getting on stage with a slow clap. Hey, I'm actually turning this around now so it works. I'm Tim. Uh, I'm one of the pastors. I'm the other one. I know you've had two more already this fall. <laughs> I'm the other one. I'm really excited to get to be here tonight. What's really fun is my wife Amy and I actually started Christian Challenge 12 years ago with uh, Paul and Christy Wooster. Uh, so it's really fun to get to be back. It's kind of like homecoming for me uh, to kind of come back to kind of where it all started. And uh, so it's really exciting to be here. If I don't know you, I'd really like to get to know you. Um, my wife's taking care of my kids tonight. Actually, grandma and grandpa are. <laughs> my wife's at our life group at church. But either way, I don't have like a deadline to get home tonight. That's awesome. So I'd love to hang out with you guys. I'm not going to in and out though, because my cholesterol can't handle that. But, but I really would like to get to know you. If I don't get to know you, I'm going to be coming down to the fall retreat this weekend just to hang out with you guys. Pastor Gary's doing the teaching. Awesome. He's my father-in-law. So, yep, I married his daughter. That's how I got into the job. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a thing in our church. <laughs> We're all related. We're like the mafia, but in like a good way. Anyway, um, I'm coming to the fall retreat. I'm super pumped to get to come just hang out with you guys. Like, I'm literally, I'm just coming to hang out. Uh, so I want to hang out with you guys. I want to eat dinner with you guys. I'm not going to do the dance party because my back can't do that anymore. But I'll sit at the fireplace. For, so if there's any other fireplace people out there, I will, I will do that with you guys. Uh, but I'm really excited to get to be here tonight. I am grateful to get to share the last of our message series right now. That's really the idea of going from broken to restored. And you know, some of you don't know me. Some of you might know me. But this really is, if I had to kind of narrow down, like, what is the message for my personal, like, for my life, personally? It would be broken to restored. It really has. Um, I'm not going to get all into my life at this moment. But I would say that I, I was broken. I, I was very broken in my life. I was aimless. And my life was going in the complete opposite direction that it is right now. Um, but God, he reached out. He really did. He chased me down. Some people kind of pursue God and find him. I was not looking for God. It wasn't like I was mad at God or blamed God. I just kind of wasn't chasing him. He wasn't really there. And he chased me down. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, the Bible speaks of this idea of restoration. And it really is one of my favorite concepts in the Bible because of what it means. You see, when you restore something... What you're doing is you're taking something and you're, you're bringing it back to the original purpose that it was intended for. Meaning like it, it had a purpose. That purpose gets devalued or destroyed or messed up. And then what you do is you, you restore it back to the original purpose. Now you think about restoring, you know, restoring paintings. You know what you're doing is you're restoring it back to the original intent of the painter. You're not putting new artwork on it. You're restoring it back to the original condition. Now, when you restore cars, like classic cars, anyone grew up with like classic cars or you know, parents that restore them? Like, you know how that process works. Like, you're not buying new parts. You're not buying 2022 parts and putting them on like 1967 Chevelles. That's just not what you do. You find the original parts and you restore it back to the original condition of the car. Now, we think about our lives. God has created us in his image. He created us with a, with a purpose. Long before we were ever born, before our parents even thought about having children, God already knew that you were going to exist, and he had a purpose and a plan for your life. And then along the way, we kind of fell out of that purpose. We, we kind of we messed it up. 
And what God is doing is he wants to restore you back to the original purpose that he has for your life. And I'm so excited to get to share with you what I have focused on in my life for the last 20 years as I have been moving from broken to restored. So with all that in mind, I want to, I want to give us a phrase tonight. And this phrase is going to kind of come up a couple times tonight, but I want to go ahead and introduce it to us now. And that's the phrase is your focus determines your life. Your focus determines your life. Now you think about it, society tells us really all the opposite. Society tells you, no, your past determines your life. Your, your, you know, what you're doing right now determines your life. And, and, and yeah, it may have a role in your life, but it does not determine your future. What determines where you end up is what you focus on. If, you, if what you allow to speak into your life is what has the final say. So with our time tonight, I want to share with you three encouragements. That's really what I want to do. I want to wrap up our series with three encouragements. And these are the things that have guided me as God has restored me in my life. Am I completely restored yet? No, I'm not. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I still make mistakes. My wife will gladly attest to that. Uh, my children know that I'm not perfect, but they do know that I love them. Uh, so I'll tell you, I'm not perfect, but I am being restored. And um, I just want to share with you three things that have really guided me. And these are three things that I continue to do even today. These aren't things that I used to do. These are things that I still do. And I want to encourage you with them. And, and I really think that they'll encourage you guys as well. So the first encouragement is just to refuse to let the old you have say over you. Refuse to let the old you have say over you. You see, as a Christ follower, I don't know where you guys are. You know, some of you might be followers of Christ. Some of you might be like, this is the first time I've ever been to anything like Christian. And that's awesome. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here tonight because I, I want to encourage you with what we're about to talk about. See, when you accept Christ, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, he comes into your heart and your life comes under new management. You see, he, new management takes over. But here's the thing. The old management doesn't just pack up and leave. Now, even more upset than the old you over the changes that are happening in your life, the new management that's coming in, is we have an enemy in this world, and he's very upset. He gets very upset when he loses another person to the redemptive work of Christ, and he's furious by that. So he, he wages an all-out war on our lives to make us as ineffective as possible. And if Satan, if he can keep us from God, if he can't, I mean, if he can't keep us from God, if, 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 if he loses us to Christ, then he's going to try absolutely everything he, he can do to defeat us, to discourage us as possible, and to keep us distracted so that we can't be used by God. This is what he tries to do. Um, I want to just be honest with you. The enemy has one goal in this life. He has one goal. And Jesus tells us what that goal is. In John 10, 10, Jesus says that the thief's purpose is to steal to kill, and to destroy. Guys, that is it. If you want to know what the enemy is about, if you want to know what Satan's goal is in this life, it is to steal your joy. It is to kill your motivation, and it is to destroy your impact in this life. That is all he is trying to do, and he'll use every means possible. He does not play fair. He comes after, he comes after you with everything, and he'll come after you through anyone. Even people that claim the name of Jesus, he'll come after you. He works through everything. But I want you to hear this because you're going to be tempted over and over and over in this world. See, time and time again, you're going to be tempted to think and act on things in our lives. And you're going to, you're going to think, it's okay. 
You know, like, it's okay. Like, it's not that bad if I give in to this. It won't really hurt anyone. I can entertain sin and not cross the line. I can give in to temptation but not let it drag me down. I can, I can probably get away with it. And some of you are thinking, like, I would never think that. But let's just be re- realistic, guys. We do. We think this. We think it's not that bad. Like, sin's not that bad. And that's the lie that the enemy feeds us. He starts us with, it's not that bad. Because no one ever does anything that's bad. You know, you don't, you don't look at something and say, oh, that is terrible for my life. I'm going to do that. No, instead you're like, oh, that looks fun. And it probably doesn't hurt that many people. I can dabble in this for a little bit. And that's how he gets us. So just know that, that all of this is aimed at one thing. He wants to take you out. That's his goal. He doesn't necessarily care to lose you to the kingdom. He just doesn't want you to be very effective in the kingdom. So how do we do battle? How do we battle against the enemy? How do we battle against the old landlord of our heart? Well, this is what the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 2.8. Paul writes, don't let anyone capture you. Interesting. Interesting phrase. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Now, guys, this is a game plan for how to defeat the enemy. Notice what Paul says. He says to watch out for his false thinking, and, and particularly from two places. The first place is from empty philosophy, empty ideas about how life really works. And the second one is from high-sounding nonsense. Now, the empty philosophies, these are those perspectives in life that constantly get thrown up at us about how life kind of works. But when you really start to pick them apart, when you really start to pick apart the philosophy, you realize that there's nothing to them. They're, they're empty. They're, 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 there's, there's no concrete substance to this idea of how life actually works. For example, this one comes up so often in our lives, is how often do you feel completely justified in your heart that it's okay to hold a grudge against somebody? How often do you feel like, you know what, this person hurt me? It's totally okay for me to feel the way that I do about that. You know, I can dwell on this bitterness. It is, it is perfectly okay for me. I can, I can rationalize that it's totally okay for me to, to hold on to this bitterness until they make it right with me. In fact, I'm not the one that did anything. They did it. So until they clear it up with me, I'm holding a grudge against them. I'm going to choose bitterness. And then what you do is we rehash the event over and over and over in our heart. And we replay the hurt over and over and over. Now, do you guys ever heard of a thing called cassette tapes? They're ancient devices. They were found in the Mayan temples, I believe. The cassette tape. Cassette tapes are made of a thing called a tape. Shocking. And um, tapes, I, dude, I know, right? Mind-blowing technology the Mayans had. And here's what happens. You would play these tapes over, and then you rewind them. And then you play them again, you rewind them. And what happens is if you rewind a tape enough times, it begins to warp as the tape starts to stretch out in the process. So you get that like kind of sound going on. Now here's the thing. This is what we do with our, our memories with hurts, is we replay them so many times that the actual event in our mind that we are convinced that is true is not even reality anymore. It's completely warped. We have, we have hung on to bitterness for so long that the very thing that we're holding on to is not even what really happened. This is the empty philosophy that the world says is okay. You see, we rationalize it. You know what you do when you rationalize something? You're believing a rational lie. That's rationalizing. Um, here's how you, here's how, okay, so you might ask yourself, well, well, how do I know? 
well, how do I know if this is an empty philosophy? Here, just ask yourself, does it work? Like, is holding on to all this working? My kids hate this question. My, my seven-year-old daughter the other day was having a pity party. And uh, so I pulled her aside, and I got down on my knee and kind of got on her level, and I just go, hey, hon, is it working? And she very kind of, no. I was like, do, do you want to change anything about it? No. <laughs> my, quit, my kids hate the question, is it working? Because <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't work. But this is that idea the world gives us all these empty philosophies. So just ask yourself, does it work? Does it work to hold on to bitterness? Does it work to like entertain, dabble in sin, thinking that it's not going to hurt me in the long run? Does it work? And what you're going to realize is the world is full of empty philosophy. The second thing that we need to watch out for is high-sounding nonsense. Now, what is that all about? High-sounding nonsense. This is the values that the world wants you to hold on to, that, that sound noble and righteous, but really in the end, they're just nonsensical. I mean, they, they, they paint this idea behind this veil of nobility, but really all it is is just a me-centered reality. That's what high-sounding nonsense is. I sound noble, but really it's just me. I'm just trying to look out after myself. So again, you just have to ask yourself, who's at the center of this value? When I value something, when I, when I really want something, ask yourself, who's at the center of it? High-sounding nonsense. See, if the enemy can keep you at the center of your world, Christ will not be. That's fine. Christ, the enemy's perfectly fine with not being at the center of your world. He doesn't even really want you to know that he's in the picture. If he, if he can get you at the center of your world, Christ can't be. And he wins. He takes you out. So you have to guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 tells us to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Now, the Living Bible, it interprets the verse like this. It says, above all else, guard your affections, for they influence everything else in your life. Guard your heart. Guard your affections. Now, the idea of affections is those are those gentle feelings of fondness towards something or a liking toward something. It's those things that kind of draw you toward it. The idea of like, you know, as a bug is attracted to the lamp, right? It's that idea. It lures you to it. Uh, it gives you that sense of warmth, that, uh, that attract, attentiveness, the intimacy, the admiration. It, it, I'm important. The problem is, is it's all fake, Right? It's all pretend. The ruler of this world cares nothing for your affections. Not at all. But he's going to use them to lure you, he'll trap you, and then he'll discourage you from reaching out and hanging on to what God really has for your life. So the moment you try to live for Christ, the old you is going to start bringing up everything you've ever done. The moment you start trying to live for Christ, the enemy is going to flood you with everything you've done wrong. He's going to flood you with every mistake. He's going to flood you with every hurtful word that you've ever said. He's going to flood you with every hurtful word said to you. And he's going to flood you with every failure and temptation that you've ever experienced in your life. But your focus determines your life, not your past. Let me encourage you with that. Your focus determines your life, not your past. Leave the past where it is. It's in the past. Refuse to let the old you have a say over your life. Now, if you've given Christ the new deed to your life, then, then you have been adopted into a new family you are not the you that you used to be. You guys believe that? Can I encourage you with that tonight? Like, like, you're not the you, like, the you you were like 10 minutes ago. Like, that's not you anymore. 
Like the, the you that you are is the you that you are right now in this exact moment. That's the you that you are. Not the you that you were one minute ago, 10 minutes ago, one year ago, 10 years ago. The you that you are is the you that you are choosing to be in this exact moment. That is who you are. Let me encourage you with that. Focus on that and refuse to let the former you have say over you. Second encouragement that I want to give you is to choose to live out of your future victory now. You guys are like, what? That's weird. Choose to live out of the future victory now. Now, that might sound kind of weird, kind of rather odd saying, um, but, you know, I want to try to make it a point here. As followers of Christ, and this is something specifically unique to us, only Christ followers get to have this. As Christ followers, you are able to live our current life from a place of future fulfillment. Think about that. You are able to live your current life in this moment right now from a place of future fulfillment. And I want to try to explain this to you because it's a little complicated, but it's so mind-bogglingly amazing that all you're left is just like, whoa, that's really cool. Uh, so I want to share with you, I'm going to start with one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And I have a few of them, but this is like one that the, like the first time I read it, like I literally like put the Bible down and I thought, whoa, like if that is true, which it is, okay, every word in the Bible is true, then oh my gosh, the amount of hope and encouragement and purpose that that verse gives me. Like I can, I can live my whole life on that one verse and I'm good. Like if I had no other verses in the Bible, I could do, I'm okay with this one. And this is the verse. It's in Philippians 1, verse 6. It says this. Now I, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, now I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until the day that it is finally finished. On the day when Christ Jesus returns. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until the day that it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. See, what this verse is talking about is the process where God intersects your life and radically changes the course that your life is on. And this is what God did for me like 20-something years ago. See, I wasn't chasing him. I wasn't looking out for him. I wasn't, I wasn't wandering toward him. Like, I was going completely the other direction. And God totally, like, ran into me. Like, purposely. You see, what this verse highlights for us is these three phases of a, of a Christian life. Three phases that you can really look forward to. Now, that first phrase is the first part of that verse. It says that he who began the good work within you. This is what we call as salvation. Okay, this is the, the process of the work of God is beginning in your life. This is the work of salvation. You are saved. Another way of looking at it is like this is the wedding day. Like, you know, you have the wedding day and then you have the marriage. Salvation, the day that it begins. Phase one. Phase two is what we call sanctification. This is a big word that basically means God is making you more like him. God is transforming you. Notice what the verse says, will continue his work. Notice that. Now that verse in the original Greek language has this idea of it's a present word, meaning it's happening in the present, but it also means that it is continuing on into the future. So it's present ongoing. That's what this, uh, the idea is. So God is going to work in your life in this exact moment, but he's going to continue to work in your life until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And this is the third phase. This is in theological circles we call glorification, meaning God finishes what he started. He makes you like him. This is the day that we leave this world and we get to be with him. 
And this verse has all three phases in it. Guys, does that give you hope or what? Like, you don't have to go find 100 verses on this stuff. You have one verse that shows you everything that God is doing in your life. See, when you accept Christ, you become a brand new person. And with that, you're giving a brand new purpose. Guys, I needed that in my life. Not only did I want to be a brand new person, I needed a brand new purpose. See, God is in the process of restoring you. He's equipping you to become the person that he originally created you to be. New you is replacing old you. New purpose, replacing old purpose. God is working in your life so that he can now work out through your life. Now, the first part of that process, like I talked about, is being able to live out of this future victory. Now, I want to try to show you how this process works now. The future victory that is ours as followers of Christ, the first thing we want to do is to no longer live for ourselves. But we need to let Christ live in us. This is the way that we let Christ live in us, is to live by faith. This is, the, this is our role. God's role is to do the work. Our role is to live by faith, to trust and let him handle the affairs of our life. Can I be honest with you guys? God can handle your life a whole lot better than you can. Are there any, like, type A control people in this room? It's okay. Acknowledge. Right? Come on. There are way more than that. Come on. Liars. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Admitting is the first step. Um, God can actually handle your life a whole lot better than you can. Okay, all right, let's just go there. Um, Galatians 2.20 in the Bible, the Apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the present, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. This is it. I want to live by faith. I'm going to trust God with the affairs of my life. The second part of this process, as we are getting, allowing God to begin to step into our life, the second step is to step into what he has planned for me. First step is to live by faith. Trust him with the plan. That's step one. Trust him with the plan. Step two, step into the plan. Okay? It's not, trusting really does have a step of faith, and that step is to trust him with the plan. Now, Ephesians 2.10 in the Bible says that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things, now check this out, that he planned for us long ago. Original purpose. You guys catch that in there? You see that in the verse? Original purpose? We messed it up. God is in the process of restoring us. Now, I love that word masterpiece. The idea of the word masterpiece is I want you to think about the idea of a marble statue, okay? Now, all marble statues begin as what? Giant slabs of marble, right? They're just giant pillars or blocks or whatever they are. The idea of the masterpiece is this. You don't start carving or chipping away at it kind of wondering what it's going to look like when you get done. See, when the, when the sculptor begins, he already knows exactly what's inside of there. And he's not so much trying to find what it is as much as it's the idea that he's releasing from the marble the statue that is already in there. That's the idea of the masterpiece. And when God begins to work in your life, he's not saying, I wonder what you're going to be. What he's doing is he says, I already know your purpose. I already planned your purpose for you long ago. I'm now going to chip away and release you from the bondage that has been in your life. I'm going to free you from the marble and allow you to be who I have already created you to be. Isn't that amazing, guys? That's the idea. Now, the last step in this process is to rest in the assured victory that is ours. 
Trust God with this life. Take that step into the process that he has for us. And then the last step is to rest in the assured victory. You guys ready to have your mind completely blown about the share verse with you that I just found like two months ago? And like literally this has been like every day. I'm just like completely floored as I've been reviewing this verse in my quiet times. Psalms 41 verse 11. Check this out. It is so cool. Meanwhile, I am sure that you are on my side. No victory shouts yet from the enemy camp. I mean, come on. That is dope. Dope's a word that we used to use in the 90s to describe something cool. I don't know what you guys say anymore. My kids call me a noob. (laughs) Meanwhile, I am sure my nine-year-old calls me a noob. Let's be clarifying because I don't understand Minecraft. I'm just like, he's like, do you want to do a Minecraft competition? I'm like, no. You want to go mow the yard? That's helpful. Anyway, um... Meanwhile, I'm sure, God, you're on my side. There's no victory shouts yet from the enemy camp. Are there any football fans in here? Thank you. Okay. I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in the Midwest. Football is like king. I went to the University of Oklahoma. Brent Venables, our new coach. Yes, we're doing really good. We smashed Nebraska last week. Okay. I love football. I, watch, I don't watch football live because I can't handle it. It's too stressful. It's four hours long. I don't have time for that kind of stuff anymore. I just look it up afterwards. Here's the thing. Have you guys ever watched a game like pre-recorded, but you already know who wins, but you're with your friends and they don't know who wins yet. And you're like the whole time, like we are about to get creamed. But all your friends are like, dude, we're totally winning. And you're like, dude, fourth quarter is going to suck. You know, and you have that moment where you can't really cheer for the victories happening because you know you lose. This is the enemy. See, you're in life and the enemy's making plays against you and you're getting whipped and the whole time, you keep thinking they are creaming us. But, but notice, no victory shouts yet from the enemy camp. All you have to do is kind of reach out and just look toward the end zone on the opposite side and realize, yeah, they may be making points on you right now, but none of them are, school- none of them are cheering. There's no victory chance coming from the opposite end of the field because they know they lose. That's the assured victory that we have in Christ. We win. Like, we don't have to worry about first quarter, second quarter. We don't have to worry about what the announcers are saying during halftime. We don't have to worry about third quarter. We don't even have to worry about, like, the first 14 minutes of fourth quarter because you know what? Minute 15, fourth quarter, we win. We win. I don't know how, but we win. We can live in that today. Like, no matter what you're going through right now, you already know that you win. You can live in that future victory today. No matter what your day looks like, no matter what your week looks like, your month or your year, thank you, friends, you know that you win. So refuse to let the old you have say over you and choose every day to live out the guaranteed future victory that is ours as Christ followers. I want to give you one last encouragement tonight. And this is honestly the one that has grounded me the most over the last 20 years. And it is to get lost in the grandeur that is God. Just get lost. Remember, your focus determines your life. Not who you are a minute ago, not who you were 10 minutes ago. Your focus determines your life. And as Christ followers, there's no greater person whom we can focus on than God. And the more that I have peered into the depth that is God over these last 20 years of my Christian life, the more that I have found myself just absolutely astonished at who he is. Like the more that I think I know him, the more I realize there's just so much more to him. 
I find myself just humbled at his grace and his mercy and his majesty. I'm completely floored by his love and his forgiveness. I'm captivated, honestly, to the point that the vocabulary of the human language cannot describe him. And I try to, guys. I try to write down how I am, in, I am imagining him, and I just can't. I, I look at my journal, and it's just nothing there because I can't describe it. There's not human vocabulary. I think the Apostle Paul tried to do this in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Paul writes, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unfathomable his ways. And here's what I find just so amazing, guys. Is, is, is for as grand as God is, he has actually made himself noble to us. Like we can know him, we can have a relationship with him. Earlier in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. Now, Greek and Hebrew scholar and also philosopher Eugene Peterson, in his word, he translates this verse to say this. The basic reality, I don't think it's behind me, but you can just listen here. The basic reality of God is plain enough. So open your eyes and there it is. By, by taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. His eternal power and the majesty of his divine being. See, God has made himself knowable. God has made it so that we, as small and seemingly insignificant that we feel at times compared to the expanse of the known universe, we can actually see him through what he creates. I'm going to wrap up tonight. I'm going to be spending some time with the prophet Isaiah. Check this out, Isaiah 45. He says, I, God, publicly proclaim bold promises. I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. God has made himself noble with how he has made creation. I want to share a few verses from Isaiah in chapter 40 to attempt at my best to describe the God that we get to focus on, the God that transforms our lives, the God that gives us purpose. And in chapter 40, verse 17, this is so cool. It says, For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. And he picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. So I want to try something here. I want to try to do a couple things. Um, I need your help. Okay, come up here. Thank you, Justin. I need you to pick up my bucket. Um, I have a dropper right here. It says, for the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. The nations, the whole world, everything that we know on this planet, is there water in that bucket? Oh, yes, there's a lot of water. Can you hold it with, like, two fingers? Look at the shaking. Okay, you can hold it with two hands again. He could do it all night, I know. Could you hold it straight out, actually? That would make it light. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay, so we're going to put this down. I'm going to get a drop here. That's for the recording. Okay, here we go. Bucket of water. Dropper. Great. Here we go. Okay. Hold nations of the world are but a drop. All right, we're coming. Here we go. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Oh. Oh, oh. there it is. There it is, guys. Thank you, Justin.
the whole nations are but a drop. The whole world, guys. Everything on this planet, right there. I'm just going to wipe that off now. Okay. Now listen to this. It goes on. Okay, Justin, I need you back. I waited for you to sit down. Notice what else he says. There are nothing more than dust. I don't need the bucket. You can put the bucket down. Uh, I do need the scale. Um, yeah, scale. You can pick that up. That's awesome. My back can't handle that. Okay. Um, there's nothing more than dust on the scales. Okay, so first of all, we're going to turn the scale on. We should put it up here. That way it's not being compromised. First of all, Justin, I want you to tell me what the reading is on the scale. Okay. It's zero. Zero what? Zero grams. Zero grams. Okay, thank you. Okay, I have here my systematic theology, the introduction to biblical doctrine. I do believe that there are more words in this book about the Bible than the Bible has itself. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Now, notice it says, nothing more than dust on the scale. So I'm going to, I haven't picked up this book in a years <laughs> since I graduated seminary. Uh, so I'm going to blow the dust onto the scale, and we're going to see how much it weighs. Okay, you ready? Okay. Okay, now, Justin, I need you to read the scale again for me. Zero grams. Zero grams, everyone. Thank you, Justin. College education, everyone. Um, for the nations of the world are but a drop. They are nothing more than dust on scales. God is big. God can handle your life. He cares more about you than you care about you. Later in Isaiah, um, I think this is so cool, chapter 57, it says, The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Whoa. The high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. See, eternity is not just a description of time, it's a place. Let that sink in for a moment. Eternity is not a description of time, it's a place. Eternity is the place where God inhabits. Eternity is the home for those that are reserved for us as Christ followers. Now, going back to Isaiah chapter 40, I want you to listen to how the God who inhabits eternity is further described. Um, I want to tell you a story first. Okay, so years ago, um, I got to go to Africa. I got to spend a summer there doing summer missions. Me and my now future wife, Amy, we're co-leaders. Uh, she was really cute in Africa. <laughs> and now she's my wife. So, you know, go on missions. Um, a little... <laughs> promo there. <laughs> Actually, okay, do you guys want a little sidestep really quick about relationships? Okay, here's the thing. I have studied something. You guys like meeting with me? Um, sorry, I'm going long. Um, it is a proven fact that the more events and places you go to, the, the more likelihood you are to meet together and end up together. So like you could go to fall retreat together, for example, and meet each other. And then say maybe that turns into like, I don't know, you know, spring break. And then maybe later on, you're like, ooh, summer missions. And then you come home and you get married. It's great. So, so I'm just saying, guys, girls, just, you know, you can make it happen. Um, if God wants you to, of course. Okay. Uh, so anyway, years ago, I was in Africa. Now, I want you guys to turn off the, the main lights. Can we do this? The main lights right here. Can we turn this off for a moment? Uh, I want to show you a picture. In Africa, there are not city lights. There's no city lights. So it's pitch black every night. And I want to show you. It's kind of hard to see here, but this is a picture of where I was. That's what I saw every night. Can you guys see it? That is amazing. Like, that was, that, was my, that was my backdrop every night when I went up to bed. I was in the Morogoro, Africa, uh, the Morogoro Mountain Range in Tanzania, 
And that's what I saw every night when I went to bed. I saw the creation of God. Now, notice what Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 26. It says, look up into the heavens who created all the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each other by its name. Because of the great power and incomparable strength, not a single one of them is missing. God calls every star by name. Isn't that just amazing? Not by just a name. Like, we name stars. Like, we name some, like, weird names, like XT1V, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, it says that God actually knows its name. <laughs> Not the name that we give it. God actually knows the name that he calls it. <laughs> That's amazing. You see, not, uh, not because of any of them. None of them are missed. Not a single star is missed. And neither are you. That's my encouragement. You are not missed. If God can know the names of every star, he knows you more deeply and more personally than you can ever imagine. As I wrap up, I want to read the following verses in Isaiah chapter 40. This is because it describes the person as they make their, their focus, the grandeur that is God. Notice these verses following after the verses about the stars. It says this, Now the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk. And not faint. This is the picture of a person who's been restored. Their focus is not on their past. Their focus is on the everlasting God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who knows the names of all the stars, the one who the, the nations are but a drop in the bucket. They are but dust on the scales. And those who trust in the Lord, they find new strength and they soar on wings like eels. The great picture of soaring is effortlessness. They soar because God is the one that carries them. This is what it means to be restored. I hope that this has been encouraging you tonight. I don't know where you are. I don't know your past. I don't know what your day has looked like, but I hope in the last little bit of time that we've had together, I hope that you are in a better place now than we were 30 minutes ago. I want to encourage you with that. This series has all been about being renewed from broken to restored. And that has been my prayer for us tonight. I want to pray, and then I'm going to invite David up to transition us into a time of, of response and, and, and reflection to worship. Father, I'm just, oh God, I'm so amazed at you. And I, I think about the fact that when I walk out of this room tonight, the stars are going to be lighting up the heavens. And I'm going to be once again blown away by who you are. I'm going to be floored that you love me and have restored me, and have purpose for me. And I believe that is true for every single one of us in this room. And I pray right now, if there's anyone in this room tonight that has not yet received that gift, that gift of salvation, that that process of restoration has not begun, I pray that it would begin tonight. And God, that you would do amazing things in their life. God, that you would reveal yourself to them as you did to me 20 years ago. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.